0: We have a Bible open to Mark chapter 4. Our text today is Mark 4, 35 to 520, but we're just going to read through the end of chapter 4 here, and then Albert will come and lead us through the rest of that. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. that even the wind and the sea obey him. Morning. Let's pray.
1: Father, thank you for these people and ask God that you would teach us through your scriptures this morning the things that we need to hear the things that would change our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Nice to see all you faces. It's because of the time change, isn't it? I really appreciate that extra hour. It's so nice. This first story that we're looking at today, it's pretty familiar. Jesus calming the storm. And even for those unfamiliar with Christianity, this is a popular story that's depicted in many works of art. And somewhere along the line, it's shared within our Judeo-Christian culture that someone would mention something in regards to this. And oftentimes, this story is taught as Jesus being able to calm the storms of our life, just like he did the storm on the lake. And while this is absolutely true, I do believe that there's more to it than just that. So we're going to dig a little bit more and we'll find out those things. Now you notice the amount of detail in Mark's account of the story, right? Starting in verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So we're given the time of day and what they were doing. Verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. So who was with them? And a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So what happened? And, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So Jesus' location on the boat and what he was doing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And so, how Jesus responded, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were still filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so, their response to Jesus. There's a lot of detail within those verses, and yet we still have some questions that are unanswered, such as, Why was there a storm? And there's no indication here that this had anything to do with what they did. They didn't cause it, unlike maybe a storm that's happening today because of global climate change, but that's a different subject matter. But sometimes we make our own storms, but this one doesn't seem to be one of those times. There's no indication here that it was a judgment from God or something like that, that this is uh, weather. This is weather. Now, actually, what we find is that their obedience to Jesus is what got them caught up in the storm. It was Jesus who said, let us go across to the other side. It was Jesus who led them into the storm. Now, do you know that God leads his people into storms, into challenges, into difficulties, into those situations and circumstances that Jesus leads people to discover faith. Now, it's not a game. It's life, right? That storm happens, right? Like, it's just life. Like, like weather happens, right? And things happen. Life happens. Where's our faith when that stuff happens? So you see that storms, they're, they're not out of the ordinary in the Sea of Galilee. It's not like this was the only storm that occurred there. It's been known to have really spectacular windstorms in the Sea of Galilee. It's really nothing supernatural about it. It's actually quite natural simply because of geography. The Sea of Galilee is 33 miles in circumference. It lies 700 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake on planet Earth. So when the cool mountains come down from the different mountains, Mount Gilboa, Mount Hermon, the Golan Heights, all this cool air comes down from the surrounding mountains and it meets up with the warm air at 700 feet below sea level in the Sea of Galilee, you get some really violent windstorms. It's natural. It's science. But this one scared these fishermen pretty good. So much so that they thought they might perish. Die, right? Perish. So This storm was past their comfort level. This was past their experience level. So now here they are, nowhere to turn but to Jesus. And I mean, really, what did they think Jesus was going to do? Like just break out some mad nautical skills? What was Jesus going to do? He's a carpenter. He's not a fisherman. He's not doing life on a boat. And so I don't think they even knew what Jesus was going to do. They just knew that they didn't know what else to do. And so here they are, desperate And then I find their question really strange. But I also find their question just kind of what people ask when they're in this situation. I'll give you an example of this. But they ask, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And it just, to me, it just seems like a lot of words, right? Because, like, why would you ask such a long question if you're, like, dying? Wouldn't you just say, save me? Like, you know, so... It's just short to the point, right? Save me. Well, they ask this long question, and it's the type of question one asks when you're just kind of exasperated and just waiting for kind of like a response and an action in return. And so here's an example of this. My girls, they ask me this question every once in a while Don't you care? And then dot, 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 right? It's just whatever it is. Don't you care that I fell down and hurt my knee? Or don't you care that my sister took my toys from me? Or don't you care that I'm crying? Or whatever it is, right? And if they would just kind of stop and pause and think about it, of course they'd realize that I don't care. No, that that I care. Sometimes I really don't, but yes, but a lot of times, like, get up, you know. But during that time of just kind of like acting out, they're not in that right frame of mind. They're just like the disciples here. And looking back at their history with Jesus, if they would just pause, of course they'd realize that Jesus cared for them. But they're just kind of like caught up in the hysteria. They're caught up in the stress and the panic and the emotions. And so I wonder how often we find ourselves wondering if God really cares. How often do the storms preoccupy our realization of God's care for us? How often do the storms cloud God's promises to us because if you just look back a couple verses you look back to verse 35 this is what Jesus said let us go across to the other side that's what he said so the storm's not going to stop that they're going to get to the other side I think of some weird chicken joke right now but anyway they're going to get to the other side how often do we doubt his word and it happens to us doesn't it we doubt His word, we doubt His care. We doubt the very one who brings about peace and calmness and fulfillment of His promises. Now notice with me, the storm seems to be this natural occurrence, but Jesus ceasing the wind and bringing about a great calm, now that is supernatural. That's supernatural. We have answers as to why the Sea of Galilee has these really violent windstorms. We have answers to this. But then what is the explanation to the wind ceasing and there was a great calm? Because think about this, when you're out in the ocean, just the physics behind this, you're on the ocean and it's a crazy storm and the wind might start gradually dying down, but what are you caught in? You're still caught in the choppiness of water, aren't you? It doesn't just calm. Even though the wind stops, you're still kind of moving around and that's just simply not how wind and water behave with each other, but they gradually die down. They don't just stop. And so here we see he brings a great calm, just, so Jesus is king of the natural, just as he is king to the supernatural. And Jesus asked them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, these were the same guys who received the secret to the kingdom of God. Remember the parable of the soils? And you know what? I find myself in the same exact boat that they're in. And probably some of you do too. We know the secrets of the kingdom of God, that they are found in Jesus, and the secret lies in the parable of the soils. But even though we know this, even though I know this, I find myself afraid. I find myself Lacking faith sometimes. A really humbling thing. Because I would think, you know, I've been a pastor for a long time. I've been a follower of Jesus for a really long time. That, you know, I'd get this stuff figured out, but I don't. And it's also a great moment to learn that Jesus doesn't give up on us. Which I'm very thankful for. Because he doesn't say, like, you know what, guys... You don't get it. Get out of the boat. I'm going to find a new group. He doesn't do that, thankfully. And so we have here their fear and their lack of faith that caused them to further question who Jesus really is, which is a really great thing to figure out. So every storm experience, it gives us opportunity to find out who Jesus really is, how majestic, how powerful, authoritative, mighty Jesus really is all of us experience storms. Now back in this time, people were caught up in this huge storm, right, the Roman occupation, this living under Roman tyranny, a huge storm. And Jesus didn't change that during his lifetime on this earth. But that didn't change the fact that he is indeed king and that he rules over the natural and the supernatural. Sometimes we need to keep In mind, even though we experience storms in our life, that sometimes they don't get resolved. Not in our lifetime. But yet, Jesus is still Lord. The importance of the storm isn't that it is calmed, but that while in it, there's an opportunity for us to discover who Jesus really is. He's God. He is Lord. He keeps his promises. And we do find that they made it across to the other side, just as he said. Now, chapter 5 you notice that we see this word tombs on three different occasions in these five verses that this guy, a living person, was living among the dead as he experienced this spiritual death isolated from the living. He was out of his right mind and it seemed that people did attempt to help him but this person was beyond their help. Physically much stronger than anyone else was and in their attempts to restrain him They failed, and perhaps the attempts of restraint were to protect him from himself as he was mutilating himself. And so what we have here is a picture of someone dehumanized and hopeless where no one could help them, and he was left to be on his own among the dead, left to be with the dead. Now, I wonder how many people are like this in our own streets, dehumanized, where people have attempted to help them and it's beyond what we could do and the situation has become hopeless and there's this separation from humanity a separation from God and not everyone is demon possessed but we all experience darkness we all experience evil that's our human condition Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We are all dead in our trespasses and sins. Let me prove this to you. Halloween was last week, and when you mix Halloween and candy and kids, evil shows up. (laughs) So my kids left some candy in the back of the car after trick-or-treating last week, and so I'm picking up my three-year-old from preschool in between meetings at the church and outside the church, and so she was getting in the back of the car, and she saw this Tootsie Roll lollipop thing that was actually from her sister's trick-or-treat kind of It's not a bag, a little plastic container thing. And so she just started peeling the wrapper, and I told her, stop, that's your sister's candy. And so she said, I just want to hold it. I just want to hold it. So then I said, can you hold it without opening it? And she said, yes, very confidently. Like, Yes, yes. So I'm making my way over to the driver's side seats and after I strapped her in and she's peeling the wrapper and I was like, thief. So I took the lollipop from her and she said, don't you care? And I was like, no. And so. (laughs) Then she found a Twix candy bar but I was already driving so I can't do anything about it. I was like, don't. And she's like, I don't know how she peeled it so fast and had it. And so I looked back at her and the chocolate and her chubby cheeks, and I said, you ate that chocolate. And then she said, with a mouthful of Twix and chocolate all in her face, she said, no, I didn't. <laughs> Liar! Stealing and lying. Those two out of the Ten Commandments, right there, my three-year-old. Trespasses and sins, right? (laughs) Trespasses and sins. The sin nature is in us, even in three year old cute little girls. It's in there, right? And so we've been around for a long time as human beings thousands of years. And one would think if we were to evolve continually and improve, we'd be past this. We're not. We are not. We're born like this. We're not born with a sense of integrity, with a sense of honor, with a sense of honesty. These are things that we have to instill, that we have to teach. That's not our nature. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds... See, we are slaves to sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And we all practice. We are all sinners. Our deliverance comes from Jesus, and we have a picture of this deliverance in this story between Jesus and Legion, this demon. Verse 6, chapter In Mark. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. This person, whom no one could help, came running to Jesus, but at the same time told Jesus, Don't torment me. Isn't that fascinating? This guy is attracted to Jesus, and at the same time, he's repulsed by Jesus. Another interesting thing is where the other side of the lake is. Where is this geographically? The country of the Gerasenes is a Gentile area on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and it is Gentile territory. So Jesus is venturing from... Jewish territory, it's all Roman territory, but more of a Jewish area to a Gentile area. And when they get there, you notice that these demons have a right theology, and they even know the answer to the question that the disciples had in verse 41 of chapter 4, when the disciples asked, "'Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him?' And they were afraid." And so here the demons answer this correctly, that Jesus is the son of the most high God and they're afraid. And so even though our theology is so important that theology that is not practiced is of no benefit, and what we have in our brains is not as significant as how our faith in Jesus is lived out. James chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. We are not justified or saved by our works. They're evidence of our faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Four good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, knowing God intellectually is different from having faith in God, a faith evidenced by action. So here's a guy who runs to Jesus, but is also repulsed by Jesus, picking up the story in verse 8. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Here's a picture of people, isn't it? People often hold on to their enslavement to evil rather than letting go to be transformed by Jesus. The bondage has become comfortable. And to go through transformation is uncomfortable and at times painful. And that's just how transformation works. If you want to get in shape when you're out of shape and you're getting into shape, I've been contemplating this for decades. (laughs) Get ready to be really uncomfortable, which is a big reason why I don't want to get in shape. It's just that lactic acid buildup. So when you notice I walk differently, that's when I started trying, okay? you're going to be sore. It's uncomfortable. If you want to become musical and play the guitar, you're going to develop some calluses and it's not going to feel comfortable. That's just what happens. And how we've been living, it dictates how we're going to live. So these demons who robbed this man of his dignity, who robbed him of his humanity and the fact that he was created in the image of God, they do not care. They're taking that from him. How many people are robbed of their dignity, robbed of the realization that they are created in the image of God? How many people are possessed by something? Substance, work, recreation, hobbies, different relationships. What possesses people? And it may be demonic, but what possesses us and takes us away from the fact that we are created in the image of God? Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, "'Send us to the pigs, let us enter them.' So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea." Now you notice that Jesus gave them permission. See, Jesus is the only one with authority, and this was an event that people could have empirical evidence about, that they couldn't just chalk it up to, "'Ah, that's a coincidence.'" Or maybe like crediting the windstorm. It was that huge windstorm that kind of shook this guy out of his madness. That's why he's, no, 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 this was Jesus and the proof was in the pigs. These were Gentiles. And they couldn't credit superstition. They couldn't credit paganism. They couldn't credit chance that this was an act of God, that he did that and then that happened. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had 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 the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And so you see how people get really comfortable with what's unhealthy. And they adapted to living with this demon-possessed man, and when he was found in his right mind, then they were afraid. See, when people get healthier here's something that happens, it confronts our own unhealthiness. It's what happens. I notice this a lot when people get counseling. Like one spouse goes and gets counseling and starts to get healthier, then the other spouse kind of reacts in not so good of a way. Because the one that's getting healthier is practicing better boundaries. It's practicing better communication and involving things like feelings. All sorts of different reasons as to what is making the comfortable, unhealthy person uncomfortable. And so the ones who don't go to counseling or who's getting less out of the counseling is annoyed with the one who's improving and getting better. And this happens. And so that's what's happening with these people. Rather than recognizing that this demon-possessed man got better And to ask Jesus, how did you do that? Like, stick around here and help us. What do they tell him to do? Get out of here. Leave. Verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to go to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. So you'd think that they'd want to celebrate this miracle with Jesus. But they don't. They want him to leave. Not so with the formerly demon-possessed man. Verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And so what Jesus said in response is really unexpected because it would seem that this guy would have been a good addition to Jesus' squad, right? Like he would have been a good addition. He wanted to join Jesus. His testimony would have been awesome, but Jesus had different plans for him. Verse 19, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. No one could have reached his people as effectively as he did. Everyone knew who he was before and the transformation he experienced because of Jesus. And no matter the bondage we may be under, Jesus can set us free. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think for those who face heavy burdens, this is a story that is pretty easy to relate to. And while there are some of you who are experiencing some very great challenges, I do hope that this is a great encouragement to you and that Jesus is in the boat with you and that he can deliver you. But honestly speaking, my worry is elsewhere. It's not with those people. My worry is more for those who think that they're okay. My burden is more towards those who are like the community of this formerly Demon-possessed man, those who told Jesus to leave. Why? Because it seems that these are the people who are most comfortable in their enslavement to sin. And being set free from the bondage of sin is not attractive, it's repulsive. And maybe you don't have an evident addiction or abuse of vice, and everything seems fine in your life, but If you're alienated from God, everything is not fine. And no matter how good you think or others think you are, all is not fine with God if you reject God and tell him to depart from you. But then there's the grace of God. We see that the formerly demon-possessed man was sent to his home to be sent to his friends to tell them about Jesus his mercy, and how Jesus delivered him from bondage. And so do you see, do you recognize the love of Jesus for those who even tell him to get out of here? Jesus honors their request, and he leaves. But he still loves them, he still cares for them, and he wanted to set them free, so he left one to tell others of the story of what Jesus did for him. Even though they told him to leave, and they don't want anything to do with him. He leaves the one that he changed. And he doesn't just care for the ones with big challenges. That he also cares for those who think that they're just fine without him. And he sends people to reach them. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We ask God for your blessing upon your people. In Jesus' name, amen.